entering into the Holy, uh, Holy Week here, not very far off. And we're, gonna be, we're in the book of Daniel, and we're taking a look at his life. Today we're taking a look at his life in his la- or the last lesson on his teenage years. And I want to encourage you to take some good notes. Because what I'm going to be saying may be an aha moment for you. Whether you have kids in your home, or whether your kids are grown, or whether you have grandkids, or whether you are an aunt and uncle of some nieces and nephews, I guarantee you, you need this message. Starting at the age of five, you're going to be spending a better part of two decades getting educated. And education is a good thing. In fact, the Bible says that we are to love God with all of our mind. How do you love God with all of your mind? By educating it, by developing it, by learning. Let me give you a couple of verses in regards to this. Take a look at Proverbs 19, verse 8. Do yourself a favor and learn all you can. Then remember what you learned. Circle remember, that's my challenge. Okay, I'm 65. This is my challenge right here. Then remember what you learned and you will prosper. It says, do yourself a favor. When you get an education, you are doing yourself a favor. If you learn all you can, and if you can remember it, do you want to be successful in life? I don't care what area it is. Do you want to be successful in life? You want to be successful with your aging parents? You want to be successful with your grandparents? You want, or your grandchildren? Do you want to be successful with your kids? You want to be successful with aging parents? Get an education. Folks, it's not an accident that almost every country in the world, the first hospital and the first school were started by Christians. Christianity is a preaching, teaching, and healing faith. We believe in body, soul, and mind. Now, your education doesn't end just because you graduated from school, college, or whatever. To be successful in life, you must be a constant learner. Take a look at Proverbs 24, verse 5. Wisdom brings strength, and knowledge gives power. Have you ever heard of the phrase in our culture, Knowledge is power. Information is power. Well, guess where that came from? The Bible. The Bible is the one that said it first. If you want to be strong and prosperous, you got to learn all you can. As I like to say, learn all you can, can all you get, sit on the can and spoil the rest. That's what I say. Just learn, 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 learn. But the Bible also says that you need to be careful about your education because you need to learn the right stuff. Take a look at Proverbs 4, verse 13. Always remember what you have learned. Your education is your life, so guard it well. Will you circle the word guard? Parents, are you guarding your kid's education? Well, I don't know how to do that, Pastor George. Today's your lucky day. I don't care if you're a grandparent, aunt and uncle, or a new, a new parent with a new one. I'm going to teach you how to do that. Last week we talked about the life principle that God tests you before he blesses you. And God tests you with stress before he blesses you with success. And we've taken a look at two examples out of Daniel's life thus far, just in chapter 1. 
how he was stressed with chaos, ultimate chaos in his life, going from one country to the next as a POW. And then we took a look at the stress of social pressure. This week, we're going to take a look at Daniel's life and the test that he, he was undergoing through his education. The background of Daniel's life is this. Babylon had come in and invaded Israel, and it collapsed. That is Israel. And King Nebuchadnezzar took 25% of Israel's population back as POWs to Babylon, where they stayed there in captivity for 70 years. One of those was Daniel. He is a 15-year-old when he shows up in the book of Daniel in a brand new country that will never see his parents again. Think about that. Never see his homeland again. Never see his family and friends again. Nebuchadnezzar gets this wild idea that he wants these new POW Jewish boys indoctrinated into their new culture. So he gives them new names, new identity, new religion, and and even new food. In essence, he's saying to them, guess what, guys? You are going to forget your God. You're going to forget your faith. And you're going to forget your homeland. Take a look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. King Nebuchadnezzar commanded, select young men and make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. We're talking about education. Teach these young men all the language and the literature of the Babylonians. They are to be trained for three years, and then some will serve the king after they graduate. This is their indoctrinational program, indoctrination program. It's education. Daniel and some of his friends are selected, and my guess is that they were pretty excited about that because they were chosen for King Nebuchadnezzar top school. It's kind of like, hey, you guys are going to get to go to Harvard. However, his program is filled with anti-God stuff. It is filled with paganism. It is filled with pagan education, polytheism. In fact, I like Daniel 1, 4, 7 out of the message that says this, indoctrinate them in the Babylonian lore. That is the myth and the magic of fortune telling. You see, the education that Daniel was receiving was designed to produce psychics. And fortune tellers. Why? Because the Babylonians were incredibly superstitious. And this is the educational system that Daniel's being introduced to. So Daniel's friends are going to learn stuff that they don't believe in. That they don't buy off on. But God had prepared Daniel and his friends for this. Take a look at Daniel 1 verse uh, 17. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for learning in the literature and science of that time. Now let me pause here because there is a principle. And it's saying this, that God will never ask you to do something that he hasn't equipped you to do. Let me put it another way. God will never put more on you than he has put in you to sustain it or shoulder it. These guys have been tested. They have been tested with chaos. They have been tested with social pressure. And now, I really believe this is the biggest test because it is a subtle test. The test of keeping their faith 
in a pagan educational system? Are you, can you study in a pagan school and not lose your faith? And if you pass that test, Daniel, I'm going to promote you. Every test that you and I encounter in life, if we pass it, we get promoted. Now the problem they faced, like I said, with their school system is that it was totally ungodly. It was filled with all kinds of myths, mysticism, occult practices with multiple gods. Now understand, though that's kind of the environment of the Babylonian educational system, not all of Babylonian education was bad. There was some good stuff. The Babylonians discovered Jupiter without a, a telescope. And I read the article, I'm going, I still don't understand how they did it, but I'm just sharing it with you. They did, okay? They got credit for it. But they, they found it not for astronomy reasons, but for astrology reasons. The reason that we have 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour come from the Babylonians. But the 60 was a magical number for them. It was all tied to, to mysticism and fortune telling. And so you got these mystics, you got these fortune tellers, you got these stargazers, and this is the environment that Daniel is in. Take a look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. When the three-year training was completed, the chief official brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with each of them, and none impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they were appointed to his regular staff as advisors. In all matters of requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, the king found the advice of these young men to be ten times better than half than that of all the, the magicians and enchanters to his, in his entire kingdom. Folks, they came in as 15 years old and they left as 18 years old as advisors to the king. Now I call that graduating with honors. I call that excelling in your education. How do you do that in a pagan culture? How do you learn what the world has to offer without losing your faith? Your education is important to you. Your education is, but is, your education is only as good as what you learn. Now I say this and set this up because in 1962 or 63, the Supreme Court uh, concluded through three major cases to throw out the Bible and prayer in our public schools. The foundation of our education for 300 years that made it great. You may not know this, but the schools uh, of, our, of our country, of America, the founding schools, the Ivy League schools as we know of Harvard and, and Yale and such, were started by pastors to train pastors in body, soul, and mind. Our educational system was started that way. And the Supreme Court comes along and throws out the Bible. And some people said, hooray! The problem was that due, the problem wasn't due to throwing out a religion or Christianity. 
The problem was, is what replaced it. Another religion called secular humanism. Well, Pastor George, is secular humanism a religion? Absolutely it is. In 1961, the Supreme Court stated such. Julian Huxley, a famous atheist, said that secular humanism is called a religion without revelation. In other words, it is a religion without a Bible. The founder of modern education, John Dewey, was a famous humanist. In fact, he said humanism is our common faith. In 1933, a group of educators came together and created the Humanist Manifesto, and, and, and they signed it, and one of those who signed it was John Dewey. And ever since that time, Christianity has been sucked out of our educational system, and it's been replaced with secular humanism. Now, what that means is this. If you grew up in the public school system, your faith has probably been ridiculed. The Bible has been belittled. Your values have been demeaned. Your, 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 your moral stance on things has been referred to as old-fashioned. Today, Christianity is the most persecuted faith in the world. You look it up. There are going to be people in your kids' lives, your nieces and nephews, your, your grandparents, your, your, uh, your, your children, who are going to try to get them to believe their doubts and doubt their beliefs. Now, what most people don't know is that atheism truly is on the decline. The actual number of atheism is quite small outside of Europe, Manhattan, large concentration of them there, and universities. In fact, it's been declining since the year 2000. Another thing that you might not know is that the world actually is getting more religious. Not more secular, but more religious. Let me give you some perspective on this. There are 15 million Jews in the world. Half of those live in the United States. There are 600 million Buddhists, 800 million Hindus, 1.5 billion Muslims, and 2.3 billion Christians. About one out of every three people on this planet share that they are followers or believers of Jesus Christ. We are actually becoming more religious and not more secular, but we're becoming more religious in different faiths. And we can see that in our community, can we not? I think we can. The two fastest growing religions in the world are Islam through conception and Christianity through conversion. Now since public schools and in particular universities are seedbeds for unbelief, I want you to look, I want us to take a look at how do you excel in education? How do you graduate with honors and not lose your faith? Now understand something. You and I learn a lot of good stuff from school. But you can also learn some bad stuff in regards to your identity, your sexuality, your purpose in life, the meaning of life. 
One of the big ideas held in a lot of educational institutions is the idea that all truth is relative. In other words, what's right for me may not be right for you, and what's right for you may not be right for me. There is a Greek word for that. It's called baloney. (laughs) Opinions are relative, yes, but truth is truth. In some classrooms, they will say there is absolutely no absolutes. And when you hear that, you ought to say, are you absolutely sure? Okay. No one can live with that kind of a philosophy in life or they die. You know what? That's a red light. I I think it's green. I'm just going to drive through it. They're going to be dead. So So there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. There are things that are always right and there are things that are always wrong. If you say that the moon is made out of cheese and someone else says the moon is made out of a rock, those are not equally valid ideas. Jesus Christ is God. PG is God. Brad Pitt is God. Folks, those are not equally valid ideas. And yet some people say that all ideas are equally valid. That's crazy. If that were true, you could punch any number you wanted on your cell phone, and guess what? You could get your home number, and it ain't going to happen. There are some things that are always true, and there are some things that are always wrong. But the question is this. How do you excel in your education when relativism is actually a fundamental belief of secular humanism? I want to give you six things. This morning, take good notes. I want you to pass this on. Number one, you decide in advance to stand for God. The time you choose your loyalty is before the tests come. And so you've got to say in your heart and in your mind, you've got to say, guess what? I know I'm going to be tested. Jesus said, as I shared last week, in this world, you will have tribulations. Paul said, everyone who lives a godly life will suffer persecution. So what that says to me is if I'm not suffering for something, guess what? I have to ask myself, am I really standing for truth? And if you are, then here's the deal. Don't sweat it. Now, parents, you need to prepare your kids for the faith test. Just like you prepare them for a geography test or a physics test or or, or some other test, okay? You need to prepare them for the faith test. Because if you fail the faith test, folks, you fail. You can fail all kinds of other tests geographies, physics, whatever. But if you fail the faith test, you fail. Now the truth is when you go to school or to work, understand, you're going to be harassed. And you've got one of three choices. One, you will either dive, survive, or thrive. You can dive. In other words, you can cave into it. And guess what? Unfortunately, a lot of people do. Or you can survive meaning that you can withdraw from it or you can thrive and excel. Why? Because you're prepared. Daniel and his three friends were prepared with the phony ideas that they were going 
to be given. And, and they were able to discern that which was good and clung on to it and abhor that which is evil. Take a look at Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself. So the starting point is to make a commitment. I'm going to put some boundaries on my mind and on my soul and on my body. I have got to decide in advance to put some boundaries. How do you do that? What does that look like? Take a look at Proverbs 1 verse 7. Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. God is the foundation of all truth. God is the foundation of all wisdom and knowledge. You can be a walking encyclopedia, or better yet, a walking Wikipedia, and have all kinds of degrees behind your name. But if you don't know God, you've missed the meaning of life. Now understand something. I am pro-education. I am pro-public education. I'm a product of public education. I am pro-private education. We send our kids, one of them, to private school. I am pro-homeschooling. We've homeschooled our kids. I am pro-education. I don't care how you slice it. But the Bible says this. You start with God. Because one day you will stand before God and he will do an exam of you, on your life with one question. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Did you know my son? Take a look at Proverbs 15, Reverence for the Lord is an education in itself. Why? Because God is the root of all knowledge. Biology, physics, geography, history. In fact, history is his story. And so you start by deciding in advance to stand for God. The second thing you do is you never stop learning. All leaders are learners. And what that means is this. If you are a family person, and guess what? We all are, aren't we? We are. We got nieces and nephews, grandkids, whatever. Family, growing families require growing parents and grandparents. Because all leaders need to be learners. I'm going to ask you this question. What new skill are you learning today? If you're not learning anything new, you're dying. And to learn, you've got to be intentional. Take a look at Proverbs 18, verse 15. Wise men and women are always learning. Stop right there and circle the word learning. I'm so proud of my wife. She took a certification course through Cornell University just this past year, and it took her weeks and hours to get this certificate in plant-based nutrition. And she did so not for curiosity for herself, but rather to help other people. You got to be a learner. Here she is, 60, I'm not going to say, <laughs> but she's not far behind me. It says, wise men and women are always learning. 
always listening for fresh ideas. Will you circle the word fresh? Circle the word learning and listening. You're never learning while you're talking, which means right now you are learning and I am not. Because I'm talking. But guess what? I was learning a year and a half ago on this kind of stuff. And it's taken me that long. Parents, one of the things that you can do, skills that you can help your kids with, is learning how to listen. How to listen to an author by reading a book. How to observe human nature. I do that all the time. I'm at the mall, I just look. I'm glad I'm not in their family. Learning by listening. That's why I want to encourage you to go to family first. Learn all you can. Get all you can. Can it and use it for your kids. Take a look at this verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that isn't ashamed. The Bible says that God wants you to study, to listen through reading, through observing. One of the purposes of Life Point Church is discipling people. It's called discipleship. A disciple is a learner. He, he's one who's trained to study the scriptures, to listen to what they're saying, to, to observe what's going on, to study. Folks, I am constantly reading all of the time. I am now reading an article from Harvard Review about what keeps people in middle management from going up higher. Wow, you learn, you read. Take a look at this verse out of Proverbs 19, verse eight. Those who get wisdom do themselves a favor and those who love learning will succeed. Do you wanna succeed in life? Do you wanna break through that glass ceiling of wherever it's at in your life? Then you've got to get wisdom. And I would say relationally, what we are offering is highly important for every one of them in this, in this room. This place ought to be packed the Sunday after Easter. Because it says, those who get wisdom do themselves a favor. Now, it is important to know the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Both of them are essential, but they are different. So will you write this down? Knowledge is informed or knowledge is information gained from education and experiences. Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. Someone gave me this. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is not a fruit or is, it is not a vegetable. It's a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. I thought that was pretty good. I, if you like it, I'm the one that made it up, okay? Now, one of the things that happens when you get wisdom is that you begin to get, understand the meaning of things. A lot of people get all kinds of degrees behind their name where they're called Dr. Fahrenheit, but they are still asking themselves questions like, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of my life? And they are asking those questions because all they have is knowledge. 
You only get that from wisdom. And so that leads to my next point. Will you write this down? You need to immerse yourself in God's word. And will you circle the word immerse? Do you know what it means to immerse a tea bag? I think we do, don't we? My, my mother-in-law was from England, okay? And so we had tea all the time. Immersing a tea bag means you dip it in hot water and you pull it out. You dip it in and you pull it out. And you do it slowly, many different times, so as to extract the flavor from the tea. Well, guess what? The same is true with God's word. You need to read it slowly because every word that is in the Bible is pure. And the, slow, the more slowly you read it, the more you get out of it. The faster you read it, the less details you get. And so you've got to slow down your life and spend more time relationally with God in his word, observing who Jesus Christ is, observing the character of God the Father, understanding the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Take a look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Study God's word continually. Meditate on it day and night. Will you circle that word? Meditate. So that you may be sure to obey all that's written in it. If you do, you will be prosperous and successful. Is God a liar here? Absolutely not. Folks, this is a promise for you and for me. Do you want to succeed? Do you want to prosper in life? Then you need to meditate on God's word. And to meditate means you got to slow your life down. You can't do that running 1,000 miles an hour. In fact, I'm going to do a series in, in August after I get back from my sabbatical called uh, 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 Open Space. Opening our minds to let God in. Opening our relational world to people who are already there. We don't need more. We, we need to just do better with what we have. Open spaces. Now this is important. Will you write this down? I must learn the truth in order to discern the lies. I must learn the truth in order to discern the lies. And there are all kinds of lies everywhere. There are worldview lies. There are cultural lies. There are educational lies. There are moral lies. There are political lies. There are office politics lies. And so if I'm going to be able to discern the lie, I have to know the truth. It's like a banker with counterfeit money. They don't study counterfeit money. They study the real thing because by knowing the real thing, they're able to spot the lie. Now David brings this home to us in Psalms 119 and verse 104. Your commandments give me great understanding. It's no wonder I can see and hate every false way of life. Why? Because I know the real thing. By that verse, will you write Coke or Coca-Cola? Because it's the real thing, right? This is, this is the Coke verse of the Bible there, okay? Your commandments give me great understanding. It is no wonder I can see and hate every false way of life. God's word gives you insight. One of the verses that I claimed when I was going through school, college and graduate school, was this next verse out of Psalms 119, verse 99. Yes, I have more insights than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. 
Daniel was immersed in a pagan educational system. And yet he was unaffected by it. Why? Because he was mature. He was dedicated. He was diligent. He was disciplined. He wasn't anxious. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't cowardly. And he wasn't doubting. Because he knew God's word. And to spend time in God's word means that you and I must spend less time in front of the boob tube, the TV, or some other screen. Do you realize that a student by the age of 18 will have watched 30,000 hours of something on a screen? Let me ask you this. What's going to help you with your advancement and prosperity? Watching TV or being in God's word? I think it's pretty obvious. Take a look at Proverbs 15, 14. A wise person is hungry for truth while the fool feeds on trash. Now what helps that is the next point. We write this down. Choose believers as my best friends. The reason Daniel was able to make it in this pagan educational system is because he had three buddies who were helping him out. Now in saying that, I am not at all saying that you shouldn't have any unbelieving friends. Folks, we are to love everybody. What I am saying, though, is this, that your very best friends ought to be strong believers. Why? Because the number one and the number two factor of determining your destiny is what you put in your mind and who you hang out with. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now I want to ask us as adults and any students that are in this place, how do you intend to choose your friends? Parents, have you worked with your kids in regards to this subject matter? How do you, it's not enough to say, hey, stay away from that kid, that's a bad kid. That didn't work. If anything, I just want to be with them, okay? How do you intend for them to select their friends? Let me tell you how most people do it. Chance. Eh, I just met them at work. I just met them at school. We kind of like one another. We're just going to hang together. That friendship is far more important in your life than just selecting it due to chance. You need to be intentional. I want you to take a look at Hannah Bryant, who's been intentional about her friendships. Take a look at this. Hi, I'm Hannah Bryant. I go to Robinson Middle School and I'm in eighth grade. So there are a lot of people at my school who claim to be Christians, but don't live like how God would want them to. So I sort of feel like I'm standing alone, but it's easier for me because I know what God did for me on the cross. So about three or four months ago, my friends told me that this guy had a crush on me and I didn't think much of it because, you know, it's just a crush until that guy got my phone number and started texting me. About two or three weeks later, he asked me out and I turned him down. So he got really curious and was wondering what he did wrong. So he came and asked me like, why did you say no? So I told him it's because you're not Christian. And he got pretty upset about that. And he started asking me like why that mattered in a relationship and that it wasn't gonna be like marriage. So it wasn't like him being Christian was important. And I just told him that my faith is really important to me and that, you know, 
I wouldn't date someone who isn't Christian. So at this point, he went and told his friends that I turned him down and all of his friends kept bugging me and annoying me and asking like, why does it matter in a relationship? Why does faith even matter in, in middle school? It's not like, you know, God's even that big of a deal right now. So that sort of bothered me because it, it's really important to me, even though to all of his friends, it seemed like it wasn't as important. I would tell them about what God did for me and sort of my story and why it was important to me. But in reality, none of them really listened or cared. They just wanted to know why I didn't like their friend. So standing up for my faith is something that's pretty simple for me, but having to do it directly to some of, to dozens of his friends was pretty hard for me. Speaking that like all of them were just gonna go tell him exactly what I said. So I sort of had to trust in God that he had something planned for me. I know that God doesn't want me to date someone who's atheist, but yet someone who's Christian. And I want to remain obedient to him because I know that he has someone better planned for me in the future. All right. Now she's an eighth grader. And there's some adults I wish that would get this lesson as they're in the dating area. We will. So, you got to be intentional. You got to start young. You got to keep working it. Take a look at this verse out of Proverbs 14, 7. Stay away from fools or you won't learn a thing. You may ask this question, well, what's a fool, Pastor George? I don't have time to go into it. But I've given you some verses. Take a look at the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters. There's 40 times in the book of Proverbs that the fool is written. Get two columns, A, wise, B, fools, and you can do it yourself. Now, I want to throw this one in for free. This one's not necessarily tied, but it does mention fools. And please don't take this wrong. But I've been in ministry for 30 years and I've heard a lot from parents over 30 years about when their kids go off to college and how they use their time and their money. I'm talking about their parents' time and money because, in a bad way, because their student wasn't ready for college. Take a look at what God has to say about this. Proverbs 17, 16. It is senseless to pay to educate a fool since he has no heart for learning. College is not a place to grow up because you may learn and reinforce some bad things already in your student's life. That's for free. The third, or C, if you're going to excel in your education in a pagan culture system is this. Stay connected to a church and small group and a ministry. All three are essential. You need support when you go off to be educated because your faith is going to be tested. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Will you circle the phrase, not give up? The reason why a lot of students lose their faith, especially when they get into high school and off to college, is because they stop doing. I see this all the time. 
Parents, I am challenging you. If your kids are living under their household, they should be in this church. What oftentimes happens as we get them through kind of their elementary years, maybe a little bit into high school, we stop going to church and we stop making our kids go to church. And then they go off to college and we lose them. I think it's a cry and shame. It's a cry and shame. And so don't give up. When you take your kids off to college, you make sure you not only orient them to the university or the college that they're going to, but you orient them to the community and you help them find a church. And not just a church, but a small group that they can be in. And not just a small group that they can be in, but a ministry. Because life isn't just about receiving. It is about giving. And ministry, doing ministry, is extremely important. And I'll explain why in a second. Take a look at this verse, 1 Peter 2.15. It is God's will that you live such a good life that it silences those who foolishly condemn the gospel without knowing what it can do for them. It is good to have a good life morally and ministry-wise because what it does is it silences the critics. It silences the skeptics. It silences the, the attacks. You're gonna be attacked wherever you go. And just because someone is attacking you and asking you all kinds of questions, you don't necessarily have to verbally answer them. Honestly. There's some people who just like to argue for argument's sake. They're not interested at all, okay? But what will silence them is a good life, morally and ministry-wise. And whatever you do, don't be fooled when they say, well, Christianity is anti-intellectual. There's another word for that. That's called stupid, okay? Until the last 100 years, the... Most of the scientists were Christian. In fact, there are more Christians who are Nobel Prize winners than any other faith, over 65%. So don't tell me that Christianity is an anti-intellectual faith. It is not. So don't fall for that one. Be connected to the church. I'm training about five or six guys on doing that right now. Be connected. Be in a small group. and Do ministry. And this leads to the last one, and that is this. Remember that God will reward you. God has promised over and over and over again that you will receive a great reward for every time that you have been ridiculed, for every time that you have been attacked, for every time you have been made fun of. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said this, Blessed are you when, when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Understand this. That when you are persecuted for your faith, you're in good company because Daniel was persecuted. But understand this as well. Daniel was one of two individuals that God told the future to. 
the Apostle John or the disciple John and Daniel. And as we close, I want to give you a glimpse of your future. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Imagine this scene in heaven. Every knee bowing and saying, Jesus is Lord. Some doing it out of praise because they believe in him. Others doing it out of judgment because they have rejected him. Every teacher that you have ever had, Jesus is Lord. Every professor you have ever had, Jesus is Lord. Every person that has ever made fun of you in the workplace, your bosses, and you know it because you can't put something up in your little cubicle to celebrate Christmas, will say, Jesus is Lord. Darwin will say, Jesus is Lord. Marx will say, Jesus is Lord. Every atheist will say, Jesus is Lord. So whatever you do in this world and in our fallen systems, socially, relationally, educationally, do not worry about what other people think because history will prove you right. The question is this. What side of history are you on? Let's pray. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Christ. Maybe you've known a lot about him. You've heard some kind of cool things and you celebrate Easter and Christmas and you know a few facts, but you don't know him because you haven't dropped him from your head to your heart. Today, will you do that? You can't give what you don't have. And there's no way in the world that you can be the kind of influence that you desire to be for your kids, for your grandkids, for your nieces and your nephews until you've settled that issue. And so this morning, will you just say, God, I admit, I've blown it. I've made some mistakes, God, and things I'm not proud of. But I want a relationship with you. And this morning, I'm going to drop you from my head into my heart. And I'm going to embrace you with all that I know of you. God, come in. Work inside of me. 
change me from the inside out. And thank you for the forgiveness that I have from you. Thank you that you made me, that Jesus Christ died for me. And now, because of my relationship with you, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Someone who is greater than that which is in the world. And if you prayed that prayer in the sincerity of your own heart, I believe God heard you. Would you just let me know? I'd, I'd love to send you an email to help you with your first steps in just growing in your faith. Take your communication card, just write your name, maybe an email address. Check the appropriate box on the back of the card and just put it in the offering basket. Lord, we thank you. God, I just thank you for those who have gone before me. I think of my grandmother that would set me down and read me the scriptures and would say, George, you need to be obedient. Think of my mom who took me to church. Think of the men who were around me in my young years going off to college that poured their lives into me. God, I thank you that today, wherever I am at, I'm standing on the shoulders who have gone, of those who have gone before me. And God, I, I'm grateful for them. May I be one who is faithful in this generation to reach the next for Jesus Christ. That is our heart's prayer. We give you this in Jesus' name. Amen.